Laura, welcome back. Thank how you, you. How are you feeling? I'm okay. I'm okay. Thank, go- thank goodness for vaccines, Philip. I didn't get very sick, but um, I wouldn't want to. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be very sick, so I was very relieved for vaccines. Lots of lots of good get well messages, of course, from the Gladys and the Bodies. Well, oh, we'll nice head off to Bali mm-hmm. with the PM in a sec. But first of all, tell us what's going on with the Secure Jobs Better Pay Bill. Well, um, it's it's all a bit of a rush, Philip. Um, the uh, government's going to... There's a Senate inquiry going on as we speak, um, which is racing through hearing from people about the bill. Uh, it's a very, very complicated bill, um, but uh, the government is pretty determined to try to get it through before Christmas. Now, it says that's because it wants to get wages moving, and I, I think there's, there is an argument that that should be the case. Um, I think it also sort of feels that the momentum is with it at the moment because um, because people on low to middle incomes really are hurting and, uh, you know, they're not very interested in arguments about uh, splitting bills and everything. They just want to sort of see something happening. And I think the government would be worried that um, they would lose that momentum over Christmas and that they'd like to finish the year with this sorted out. But that's coming at the cost of uh, looking like they're not handling the Senate very well, that they're not listening to the Senate. They've they, got they, plenty of time to need, address that. They need the support of the Greens and one independent, yes? They, they really need David Pocock and or Jackie Lambie, I think. And um, I think, uh, I, I don't think it's uh, insurmountable, uh, but David Pocock, the uh, ACT independent senator who's sort of really emerging as the particularly key figure in this wants to split off the stream of uh, bargaining for low-income earners, get that through the um, through the uh, parliament this year and look at the rest of it later. Uh, but Tony Burke, the Industrial Relations Minister, says, well, the problem with that is, say you are in that stream of low-paid low workers, what if you've had a pay rise that puts you in a slightly higher pay bracket for the moment, does that mean you miss out? You know, you've, it's it's got to be a, a whole package. So I think what will happen is that there'll be... That there are two... There are a few bits and pieces that are uh, sort of under negotiation. One of them is about what the definition is of small business and how it should be excluded or included in all of these reforms. Um, the government's defining small business as uh, a business with 15 employees. Uh, others are saying 100 is, should be the limit on the crossbenches. Uh, the opposition saying 200, which I've got to say sounds a little bit crazy, but um, whatever the figure is, I think what will end up happening is that you'll see the government essentially not agreeing to split things off the bill, but reducing the scope um, and uh, sort of limiting the extent of the so-called multi-employer bargaining um, that it's proposing. We saw already last week uh, in, I think, a gesture uh, which sort of uh, served several masters at once that the government uh, carved out the co- commercial construction sector from being possibly uh, subject to the multi-employer bargaining. So I think you'll see a few more bits of that stripped off to appease the crossbench um, and uh, to, get a, to get an outcome because I, I think they really believe that both the politics and the equity arguments uh, work in favour of trying to get this bill through by the end of the year. Elbow touched down in Bali today with the G20 and it seems like he's going to be a rather busy Prime Minister. 
It, it's amazing, isn't it, this whole summit season, Philip, and it's sort of all happening in our neighbourhood when you think about it this time round. There's the East Asian Summit and uh, the ASEAN Summit, um, but they were both all in... Uh, Phnom Penh over the weekend and now he's gone to Bali for the G20 and then there's going to be the APEC meeting. Um, it really sort of shows the primacy in a way of all of those very Asian, Asia-Pacific-based uh, fora now, um, though while they're all talking in general about Ukraine and climate change and all those sorts of things, you know, there's not any really specific measures coming out of this. But as you say, uh, he is going to be busy. He's had a lot of bilateral meetings already, but the crucial one, which will happen tomorrow, is the meeting with President Xi of China, which will be the first time an Australian Prime Minister has met with the uh, Chinese President for five years, which, when you think about it, is quite staggering, really. He, 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 they did tease him a bit, didn't they, Elbow? He didn't get it immediately. Uh, he didn't, um, and the foreign ministry in Beijing's come out uh, with some, you know, statements about how, how uh, they hope tonight, saying that they hope that uh, the Australian Prime Minister can put past differences behind him, him and, you know, understand, uh, you know, mutually agreed goals, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, I, I think one of the really interesting dynamics in all of this, Philip, is... Um, you see in all the speeches from um, Anthony Albanese and Penny Wong, uh, from Joe Biden and others, that uh, there's this push to try to engage with the rest of Asia, if you like, non-China Asia, Southeast Asia, using ASEAN as a sort of a central body. Now, ASEAN is this sort of pretty loose grouping of uh, countries in uh, Southeast Asia, which has always been pretty reluctant to actually take a really firm stand on things. It lets everybody sort of more or less do their own thing. And it's interesting that you're seeing um, both Australia and the US now sort of saying, oh, well, we sort of see a very ASEAN-centred uh, view of the region, which is possibly not the, the sort of view that ASEAN has of itself. And um, But they're trying to make all the right noises of saying, we're not asking other uh, Asian countries to choose between China and the US. Uh, they sort of see ASEAN as this, um, as this sort of uh, sort of melting pot, which can sort of somehow sort of alleviate the uh, the uh, regional tensions um, and not make it so much about US versus China. But that ultimately is what it's about. And more or less, as we're speaking, uh, Joe Biden has been meeting with uh, President Xi um, uh, in Bali. Uh, this, this evening, um, and that will obviously also be a pretty interesting meeting given the sorts of pretty aggressive uh, language and actions that have been happening between those two countries in the past few months, including over Taiwan. I'm looking at a menu here, and it includes meat, crayfish, timber and coal, <laughs> and these are some of the Australian products that are still subject to Chinese trade sanctions. Mm. Is Elbow hoping to... Um, Get these eased. I think I think there's a clear uh, hope that that there will be some sort of relaxation of some of these trade sanctions, Philip. Um, they, they keep mentioning them, uh, which you sort of tend not to do unless uh, in, and sort of mention them in terms of you know uh, that the, the uh, sanctions are unreasonable and they stand in the way of a happy relationship and so forth and so on. So I, I think. Uh, clearly there is some uh, hope and even an expectation that some of those um, sanctions will be at least eased a bit, uh, given that the, the Chinese have uh, agreed to and clearly decided to thaw relationships. It's There's been a real 
there has been a shift in the, the in the um, the politics and diplomacy of foreign policy. I think in the last six months since the change of government, Philip, I was reflecting on this today, just thinking about you know all that sort of rather extraordinary language we saw from the previous government about you know Richard Miles being the Manchurian candidate and you know Labor being uh, the the Chinese Communist Party's preferred uh, government in Canberra and really bringing you know, China phobia into um, the realm of domestic politics in a pretty um, pretty blatant sort of fashion. And I think whatever else has been happening, um, the government has been really moving to try to de-escalate all the time. It's not, it's not been walking away from asserting Australia's position on China, but it certainly hasn't been throwing any fuel on the bonfire either. It's, it's, it's really been trying to keep things very low-key. And as, you, as you've already said, it's the first time an Australian leader has met the Chinese president since, well, since Malcolm Turnbull. Yes, how many prime ministers have we had since then? I've lost track. But, yes, Malcolm Turnbull was the last in 2017. So. Now, the timing is auspicious. It happens to coincide with the 50th anniversary of diplomatic relations between Australia and China, and Penny Wong gave the Whitlam oration yesterday. What did Penny have to say? It was an interesting speech, Philip. Uh, She was really uh, sort of reflecting on Gough Whitlam's contribution to foreign policy um, as Prime Minister. And, uh, you know, like all things Gough Whitlam, there was quite a lot to it. (laughs) Um, She was reflecting on the relationship with China, um, which you could read in several ways. Some people saw saw it as a bit of a shot at uh, Paul Keating and others because um, she said, you know, China now is not the China of either the 1970s or the 2000s. Um, And we had to acknowledge, you know, its changing place in the world. But she also had a shot at uh, the coalition quite clearly for the sort of uh, uh, politicking it had done uh, on China and rather unkindly um, (laughs) compared some of the comments that Peter Dutton made to the rather unfortunate responses that Billy McMahon made when um, Gough Whitlam went to China in the first place where he basically suggested that... um, that, uh, that Gough Whitlam was the lapdog of the Chinese and things like that, only to discover, much to his uh, <laughs> horror, uh, very shortly afterwards that, um, that uh, the Nixon administration was also doing exactly the same thing. So, um, so she reflected on the, uh, the, the uh, Gough Whitlam contribution to the China relationship, but also to Indonesia. Uh, she pointed out that uh, he'd been... Uh, responsible for a major expansion in the relationship with Japan. Um, It was interesting, she talked a lot about Papua New Guinea and about how Gough actually thought that um, uh, sort of overseeing the transition to independence of Papua New Guinea would be the, the singular most important thing he would do in terms of foreign policy. Um, and she also talked about how he said, and it's got sort of ramifications in all sorts of different ways. She talked about how he said that we really wouldn't ever, you know, be be uh, sort of comfortable in the world until we sort of made peace with our own First Nations people. Um, this is obviously something that's um, sort of relevant as, as always today uh, because of the voice, but I think it's also interesting given Penny Wong and the government are pushing for this idea of a First Nations foreign policy um, but there's there's a sort of a powerful idea there about the fact that 
you know, if you want to look at, if you want to see how people see us as opposed to the way we think we, we are seen in the world, um, the fact that we are seen to not treat our First Nations people well, you know, discounts our capacity to really act effectively in the world in a whole range of other areas. Did you talk about her own meetings with the uh, Chinese foreign minister and whether she'd been candid about our concerns? Um, she didn't, uh, in, the, in the speech, I don't think she particularly uh, did, except in her usual diplomatic fashion. Um, it was mainly, uh, you know, an, an historical reflection um, on, uh, you know, th these sorts of parallels uh, and lessons and um, contributions that Gough Whitlam made and how they continue to reverberate till today. I thought she moved rather quickly through the issue of Indonesia and East Timor, um, bracketing that under pragmatism, though I have to add. <laughs> Laura, great to hear your voice sounding so strong. The voice being, of course, of Laura Tingle, 7.30's chief political correspondent, and it's just marvellous to have you back. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.